0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprint. Federal public servants hit the bricks. Unique incentives for condo buyers. The Bront Music Festival is back this summer. We'll talk about deep fakes of Drake and the weekend. A sour start for the Maple Leafs. And you can help out this Earth Day. Find out more next here on the GMH podcast.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, it is official. Thousands of workers. Tens of thousands of workers workers with the Public Service Alliance of Canada are now on strike.
2: We are still uh, you know a, a ways apart uh, but we're staying at the table because we're still hopeful and our goal is still to get to a tentative agreement.
0: That is PSAC Union President Chris Aylward. 155,000 workers are involved. It's the largest federal work stoppage since 1991. Uh, 28 different departments and agencies are impacted, including the CRA, uh, Transport Canada, Immigration Department, Veterans Affairs among them as well. How does it, this impact you, Dr. Ian Lee is an associate professor with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Lee, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Doing great. Uh, Sounds like this could have a big impact on many Canadians. What do you foresee?
3: Well, I I agree. It is. um, Remember, governments deliver a lot of different services. Um, Let's talk about the things that are most visible and most obvious. Um, Immigration, um, immigration. Uh, receipts, immigration approvals, passport processing, unemployment insurance, taxes. Let's not, the deadline is coming up for our tax returns in 10 days. And uh, so uh, I think we will see a slowdown in these various critical uh, um, areas, including border crossing. Uh, They won't come to a stop. Remember uh, that about one third of these federal public servants have been designated over the years, as essential. And under the collective agreement in the federal government, um, there is a provision to designate certain um, public servants essential, um, which means they cannot go on strike. So about a third uh, are are, are designated. Having said that, that still means a large number will be going on strike. And so we will see... Um, uh, I think ordinary Canadians will see across the country will see um, uh, slowdowns in uh, services in key areas where they interact with the government of Canada.
0: Does that also mean a potential slowdown in the supply chain?
3: I don't think so, because these are services delivered by government to individuals, you know, applying for an old age uh, security, applying for unemployment insurance. These are are individuals. Uh, most of these services are individual. I'm not saying that there's no services to businesses. There are, but businesses are much more, um, uh, if you will, independent or autonomous. I mean, they get receipt, they get grants sometimes from the government, you know, to build a new battery plant in southern Ontario or something like that. But. Um, it 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 uh, it's going to affect us individually across the country, and we're gonna we're gonna feel it and see it uh, much more so, I think, than uh, business as well.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on nine hundred CHML, Dr. Ian Lee, associate professor with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. We're talking about the strike that is now on by Public Service Alliance of Canada employees, one hundred fifty five thousand members involved in this job action. Um, wages, as always, is a key sticking point. PSAC wants a thirteen and a half percent pay raise. Or- over 3 years. Now, because wage growth uh, is involved or contributes to inflation, could this lead to a new benchmark for other public or even private sector unions and and thus push inflation higher again?
3: It could, but that's why I I think that the um uh the settlement is going to uh there is going to be a settlement on wages. Let me just explain uh, put some big picture on this for everybody. Um, Right now, to bring it down to, I like to talk per year increase because we get paid on a per year increase. Most people, you know, they get their raises annually and not once every three years. PSAC, which is the largest union in the government of Canada by far, is uh, demanding. They've come down to 4.5% a year. And the government two days ago came up from 2% a year to 3%. So they're only 1.5% apart Now, you know, I'm not trivializing that 1.5%, but I think that they're, you know, you can come to a deal. You know, it's like going to a flea market and negotiating. I don't think they're that far apart on wages. That's my point. When you're only 1.5% apart, uh, I think a deal can be struck. I think the sticking point, and uh, Treasury Board even said so, the Treasury Board is the government department or the agency let's put it that way that is re- deemed to be the employer of the public service under the legislation and so that means they're the negot- they're the they negotiate on behalf of the government and they said a couple of days ago that they thought that the sticking point was remote work i agree i have uh, past and present family members i have friends in the government of canada i've lived in ottawa all my life and the remote issue but most of people across canada are focusing on the wages i think it's the remote work because the government's trying to push people to go back to work, which is really uh, uh, surprising. Because simultaneously, another government department called Public Works Canada has been downsizing since the pandemic, or well, during the pandemic and after. They are dumping leases. Dumping meaning when the lease comes up, they they just they don't renew it. And the largest single user or uh, land um, user of real estate in Ottawa and Gatineau, the national capital region, is the government of Canada. They are re- releasing and getting rid of space left, right and center. So these workers are going into temporary cubicles. They've lost their offices. So they're not even meeting their fellow workers face to face. They're sitting in a cubicle and they're zooming Another worker in another cubicle. And of course, many find this frustrating. And they said, look, I can do my work more productively from my home. And so they are there's a very strong view in the uh, PSAC that this is a critical issue, uh, the remote work. And so I think that if there's going to be compromise, that's where the compromise is going to come on the government side if they want to settle the strike.
0: We have uh, another minute. Uh, The the government kind of holds a little bit of a hammer, maybe a big hammer here with Mm back-to-work legislation. Is that in the offing? Do you see that being used maybe after a week or so?
3: It could. Uh, it was in 1991, after I think it was three weeks if my memory serves me well, and I was certainly in uh, commenting on that strike. <laughs> it was when I had just started teaching as a professor. Um, I started in 88, and, uh, and that there was back-to-work legislation. To answer your question, this time it's more complicated, because the NDP announced yesterday they will not support back-to-work legislation. So that means if the Liberal government introduces it, they will be dependent on Pierre Pauliev and the Conservatives to support the Liberal government. And I'm not sure that that will happen. I mean, there's a lot of animosity between those two. And uh, so the the Liberal government may not even be able to successfully introduce or pass, I should say. Uh, They can introduce all they want, a bill, but they may not be able to get it passed by Parliament. And so this would put even greater pressure I think there's more leverage, More, the unions have more leverage right now than the government. Going back to your earlier question, if they settle a wage increase too high, they're going to be condemned across Canada because it's people are going to argue legitimately that this is contributing to inflation at a time when inflation is hurting so many people. That's why I don't think the government is going to uh, go much higher. They're at three now. They maybe they'll go to, you know, 3.2 or something like that. But I don't think that they will come up with a double digit uh, wage increase because they will get clobbered. I mean, just absolutely clobbered in the court of public opinion and in the media, the Globe and Mail yesterday had an, uh, an op-ed, an editorial from the board, the editorial board, uh, strongly warning uh, the government not to uh, give out, grant an inflationary wage increase because the government of Canada is the largest employer in all Canada. So they set precedents for provincial governments, municipal governments, and of course, the private sector. So I think the wiggle room is on the remote work more so than on the wages.
0: Fascinating insight from Dr. Ian Lee, as always. Dr. Lee, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, Rick. Thank you. Ian Lee is an associate professor with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: As we know, the housing market has been, well, a roller coaster over the last number of years. You'll recall in 2017, a, a massive boom in the Hamilton area, thanks to a lot of GTA homeowners cashing in there, moving here. Certainly in the early days of the pandemic, we're thinking, oh, here comes the big crash. And it was the opposite. Housing prices and sales went through the roof. Over the last little while, it it has certainly settled down, although there are signs that things are starting to pick up again. To that end, the condo market specifically in Toronto and the GTA is still a little on shaky footing, so much so that a lot of developers there who are building new condos are thinking, outside the box and they're doing so by offering unique incentives to try to entice those jittery homebuyers to make a purchase so what are they offering well some are offering cash back so you invest in the condo you get some cash back others are saying hey if you you know buy this condo put some money down we'll give you a new cell phone there was one developer in barry that actually offered prospective home buyers a mercedes Think about that. Hey, buy this home and you'll, you'll get a Mercedes. I think it was like a two-year lease. These are some of the incentives condo developers are offering prospective buyers. Pauline Learman is the Vice President of Market Research with Zonda and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Pauline, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. These are pretty unique perks. What are your thoughts on these incentives for prospective home buyers?
4: Well, actually, it's a little bit of a return to almost it's 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 back. I would call it. Um, you know, I'm used to actually seeing uh, incentives that happened maybe about ten years ago, about 2014. It was pretty pretty rubi- rubi- sorry ubiquitous then, um, and now they're back, but they're a little more aggressive this time, given the market context that's going on.
0: Yeah, I would say. I mean, I I've never heard of hey, buy a house and we'll give you a car.
4: <laughs> That's a new one. That's a new one. There was once one where in condos about you know fifteen years ago, where if you bought it, you were in a draw to get a car. Um, th- that building was completely like first home buyers, and uh, that was the context then. But it's new. Um, the con, the uh, the b- cars are back.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it used to be, hey, you can buy this condo; we'll give you the we'll give you the parking space, maybe for free or you know, free for the first year. As you said, there, are, these developers are really getting aggressive. The question is, why?
4: Uh, so it's a lot to do with actually the economics of the projects themselves. Most condo projects need about seventy percent to receive construction financing, um, and that's across board. There are certain developers that can go, you know get in their shovels in the ground without that. Um, But that's part of the game as well as kind of reviving um, sales incentives and and, uh, sales velocity because as of last uh, fall, the market had slowed down because of the interest rate hikes. So now what you find is you need to try, if they want to launch a new project, they may want to get 100 sales out of the gate and kind of have some momentum going forward.
0: Is this really enticing people to buy or invest in condos? Are we seeing those sales kind of increasing now? Yeah,
4: it's actually improved in some sites, but I'd have to say at the end of the day, real estate comes down to location and price point. And those have been the big winners in the market so far this spring.
0: Pauline Learman is the Vice President of Market Research with housing data platform Zonda. You can find them online at zondahome.ca. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Is any other city or area doing this?
4: Actually, it's pretty much across the GTHA. Um, I've seen them in projects in Hamilton. Um, Hamilton was our largest market last year for downtown um, neighborhoods, and I've seen them out out east in Pickering, as well as in Markham. So it's pretty much the the general market trend at this point.
0: And this really doesn't, as you mentioned, doesn't really set a new precedent. I mean, we've had kind of perks in the past. These might be a little more unique than we've ever seen before.
4: I think the unique part about them is that some sites, they're actually more than one. So you might get a situation where you get a cash back, as you mentioned, but you might also get... Um, an extra cash back that might be a year year's worth of maintenance fees or property taxes. So they're kind of layering them upon those as well as offering really good terms in terms of deposit structures. So rather than having maybe twenty percent out within about a year and a half, you're extending your deposits out four to five years.
0: are we still seeing that stumbling block in terms of you know developers building condos? there's a there's a certain price point at that time when you invest, but, in, I mean, these these things aren't built overnight. So, in six months, one year, two years, as inflation has risen, as uh, mortgage rates have gone up, as interest rates have gone up, we're seeing those price points change. Are some prospective buyers getting a little scared off by the potential to pay more at a later date?
4: I don't think so. At this point, I think the long term view amongst a lot of investors, which do make up the bulk of the buyers at condo and apartments. Kind of look at that view and say they figure that interest rates will start to kind of come down and moderate. So they're looking at when they're going to mortgage close, and that's four years from now. So, um, and a lot, as we've seen, a lot can change very shortly.
0: That is for sure. Pauline, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. You as well. That is Pauline Learman, Vice President of Market Research with Housing Data Platform Zonda. You can find them online at zondahome.ca. But imagine that you're your house hunting. You find a house and you realize that if you buy this house or invest in this property, you'll get a car. You'll get a two-year lease with a car or, you know, you get some cash back. This developer is going to pay pay what you would normally have paid for a year or two just to get you in the door and invest in their development. It is wild times in the housing market, that is for sure.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This magical music, inspiring, enlightening, soothing, uh, magical. That's the word that comes to mind. And a lot more magic is going to come out of the 36th Brock, Brock, Brought Music Festival. Uh, Yes, the legacy of Boris Brought lives on, and it's going to live on this summer as uh, performances will start in June, run until mid-August. And there's lots of new stuff this year as well. Let's get right into it with maestro Alain Trudell, the interim conductor and artistic director of Brought Music Festival, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Uh, Mr. Trudell, good morning. How are you today? And uh, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic, and it's fantastic to hear this kind of music again. Rejuvenates the the ears and the minds of people here in the Hamilton and surrounding area. And it's really, as I said, fantastic to see Boris Bratz' legacy live on in this festival and and in this music.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, he he put together something that uh, that is quite unique, and it's unique in Canada. It's. Uh, might be unique uh, in a lot of places. It's the longest orchestra festival. And it's nine weeks of wonderful orchestra music and classical music, but not only classical music. We have uh, musicals, we have some rock music, uh, and, of course, the the great classics that, that everybody knows. And love. What are some
0: of the highlights for you as you look at this year's festival, you're looking at a lot of the venues that you're going to be in and a lot of the different music that's going to be played. What's for you, maybe one or two things that you're really looking forward to seeing and hearing?
2: Mm. Well, of course, it's going to be the big, uh, well, it's it's interesting because when we start, we're going to have something that's a little smaller in the sense of uh, size of orchestra and venue, but that people know and love, the four seasons. You know, I just say the name, and oh yeah, the four seasons. But the, we also going to mix them up with the Canadian seasons, which is uh, a uh, it's, it's Canadian piece, but that, that we mix with the Vivaldi's fourth season that everybody uh, you know everybody loves. And then right a few days after, we do Carmina Burana, which is one of the biggest orchestra pieces. So one is at the university, and one is, of course, at the Great Hall, Boris Brat, which they, 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 they very wisely renamed that, that way because he did so much For the community. I think another highlight would be the opera, the Traviata, And uh, another highlight would be our mini festival of uh, rock uh, and uh, jazz in the middle of the festival. So, you know, all music from the 80s. I mean, Claire Barlow. And then also the Tragically Hip, the tribute to the Tragically Hip. That's a festival within the festival. First few, uh, few days of that. And of course, uh, the um, all the orchestra concerts, but that we don't, you know, we don't have time to talk about everything. But I would say the the musical we're doing Jesus Christ Superstar this year, so it's going to be I uh, know it's a very diverse, but also very uh, very beautiful music, and you can see the stars of tomorrow because the orchestra. That, let's not forget that it's also the National Academy Orchestra that plays it. So it's the professional training orchestra with mentors from orchestras, from uh, concertmasters from Europe, from Los Angeles, Philharmonic, from Toronto, Montreal. So there's a lot to, uh, to come here and see.
0: There is such a diverse, as you just explained, diverse list of different performances, different genres. Yeah. Is is Was that an important focus for you to have this year?
2: Absolutely, and it was very important to Boris as well. Uh, I I would say, I'd like to say that I didn't change anything. I just kept going uh, in the direction that he was pointing. <laughs> and uh, of course, it helps that I, we knew each other very well. But uh, uh, I, I think it's just a continuity. And that's what's so unique about this, uh, this program, but because also for the players in the orchestra and the singers in the opera program, you have to understand we'll go across the entire country auditioning them. So maybe the people you will hear, for example, singing in the opera. And we also have a pop opera a few days before. And, and all of this is July and August. I mean, you can find all of this at our box office. And you can go on the internet, just do BroughtMusic.com, and you'll find all of the, the programs. And, and you know, where to call uh, to, to have tickets and all that. But the important thing is that we go around the country, and let's say if you hear, I don't know, 15 singers, it was because we auditioned maybe 120, uh, and that, that made the cut for the audition. And from those, we keep only maybe 10% of them so you get the best of the best of the what's going to be on the the stage of the international stage canadian stars uh they're going to be on the international international stage and then when we say tomorrow I mean, you know, the future is today, let's say. <laughs> so they're, they're ready.
0: Maestro Alan Trudell is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're speaking about the Brat Music Festival, which kicks off in June, runs until August the 17th. All the information you need and most importantly, tickets are online at bratmusic.com. What kind of preparations are being made now to execute this festival uh, to um, to the degree that you really want to see it be executed?
2: Well, um, for this festival to to happen, we're we're working during, uh, like last year, we are working during the festival in 2022. We were actively working on this festival for a year after. So there's about a year of preparation that goes into uh, making a festival happen because, you know, just the coordination of getting everybody there. Also uh, doing the auditions for, for the orchestra, for the singers, but just, you know, booking the halls, everybody at the office is working super hard every single person that works in that office uh is like non-stop <laughs> working to make sure that uh, every single component of it works and when we get to the summer it goes out without a glitch we're ready for uh we say that but you know we always have to be ready for things that are not uh, planned but uh the more we plan in advance the more we're ready for things that might happen uh, during the, the the way you know uh, a performer gets sick uh there's a act of God in one of the venues. You never know, right? <laughs> so uh, we and, and we play in many venues. We uh, so this is very exciting for, for us too. We're expanding. The important things to play everywhere in the community. So of course it's very exciting to play in the Great Hall, bars. But We also play in Ancaster. You know the uh, it's called the Ancaster Memorial Arts Center. It opened last year. Fantastic place. Uh, we also going. We're at the University at, at Memo- uh, a, a lot. It's uh, they're great partners. So. I think it's also part of the vision to bring music to the community. Everywhere in the community, we play outside. We play at the winery. We have a beautiful concert at the uh, at the winery uh, when when um, people can come and hear every uh, chamber group of the orchestra. And we finish with a big brass ensemble brass ensemble piece that's called in, uh, an homage of the noble grape, and that's going to be at the Suan Staff uh, State Winery. They're wonderful people. They make wonderful wine, <laughs> and uh, that this is, you know, an afternoon you can come and hang around. So, I mean, it's important to have the training for the orchestra, to have the the, the concerts, the quality when you play. We play We're going to play Symphony Fantastic. We will play some Beethoven. We go we, we go play a bunch of places, and that's very important that everybody gets a little bit of it and for us to share it in the community.
0: It is the 36th Brant Music Festival. You can get your tickets and more information online, com. Maestro Tudel, thank you for your time today, and uh, we'll touch base closer to
2: uh, festival start. Well, thank you for, uh, for your interest in us, because you know, uh, we're doing something really good for the community and for our players, and I, I truly appreciate the time with you this morning.
0: Absolutely. Maestro Alain Trudeau, the Interim Conductor, Artistic Director at Brant Music Festival.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This is a new song called Heart on My Sleeve, and it's gone absolutely viral. And it's, well, the Drake and The Weeknd teaming up for a single Except they're, they're not. This is AI technology that has been used to create this song using vocals that sound like these two Canadian music megastars. Where are we going in the music industry? Alan Cross is the host of the iconic Ongoing History of New Music Canada's longest running radio documentary and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Alan, good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, good
5: morning. This, uh, this is getting, this is weird. It's going to get weirder, and the technology right now is the worst it's ever going to be. It's only going to get better. Uh,
0: My thoughts are cool song, scary technology. I think music lovers are going to love this. Music makers, at least singers, won't. Do you agree?
5: Well, I'm not really sure where we're going with this. Uh, This new AI technology is, is very, very smart and very adaptable. And what some people are doing is training programs to sound like Certain artists or certain people could be anybody, as a matter of fact. And this opens up a lot of creative possibilities, but it also opens up a lot of legal issues. For example, if you do that with Drake's voice and The Weeknd's voice, who owns that song? Uh, Who gets paid? Uh, Shouldn't there be some sort of licensing involving the use of somebody's likeness, image, and sound? Uh, This is a, a really interesting and going to be a very complex legal matter to deal with going forward. Universal Music, who has the rights to both Drake and The Weeknd, is totally freaked out over this, as they should be, and have ordered that uh, these uh, offending tracks be taken down from all the streaming music services. Obviously, obviously, though, the, the damage has been done, and the cat's out of the bag when it comes to this technology, but, uh, you know, this is just the beginning. I wouldn't be surprised to see more of this stuff not within months, but within days.
0: Because the person behind this musical creation uh, is not saying that, hey, listen, this is the new single out from Drake and The Weeknd, he's clearly identifying that, yeah, this is AI technology. From a lawsuit perspective, if those two musicians say, we're going to sue this guy up the yin yang, you know, that's a big question mark because he's not, he's not selling it as their product.
5: No, he's not selling it as their product, but he would have been making revenue off the streams from the from the uh, streaming music services. Uh, this is an issue of, of image and likeness, which is something that artists protect very, 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 you know, <laughs> aggressively, because you can't take somebody's picture and use it for something else without getting the permission of the person in that picture. There's, uh, there's, it's, it's really quite complicated. You can't use You know, what you're doing, too, is you're making them do something. You're manipulating an aspect of their character uh, for your own means without permission. So, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Sure, you can play, uh, you know, games with with Drake in the weekend, but we've got an American election coming up next year. And can you imagine the deep fake AI stuff that's going to be planted (laughs) leading up to November 2024? It's it's really going to be, you know, terrifying. Another thing about this AI technology is that a lot of people are using it to write songs. There's uh, something that Google is doing where you can write something out in text, and the AI will write a song up to five minutes long based on the text that you write. So this has the possibility to increase the amount of songs being introduced into the world exponentially. Now, right now, I get between five and 600 song pitches a week. If we get artificial intelligence involved and we have people pitching that or uploading that, we're going to have multiples of that five or 600 songs per week flooding the streaming services with what's essentially fake artists.
0: Well, we got about a minute. Uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned was licensing. And, and one of the things we do in the radio industry is, you know, pay dues to uh, SOCANs who can, you know, therefore pay the artists. Would a song like this fall under that category?
5: I have no idea. This is part of the problem. You know, if, you know, who, who is the, the per- person that did this ghostwriter is his name yeah. uh, or her name, or its name. Um, we don't know who that person is. We don't know if they're registered with any performing rights organization um, we don't know what the metadata is on that particular file so that uh, the streaming music services can keep track of how many t- times it's been played. Uh, it, it's, it's a big black box right now.
0: It is uh, wild and uh, perhaps wonderful at the same time. Alan, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Alan Cross, the host of the Ongoing History of New Music, Canada's longest-running radio documentary. You can check it out on Brother Station Y108. Uh, renowned DJ David Getta. Uh, chimed in on this, and he said, I am sure that the future of music is in AI. Very, very interesting statement.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Tampa Bay torched the Maple Leafs 7-3 in game one of their opening round Stanley Cup playoff series. Stand close to the 9 seconds here,
2: and the Leafs able to kill the first... Penalty. Could drop back in front of the net. Backhand. Scores. Creighton Point. It's another power play
0: goal. Chris Cuthbert the call on Sportsnet last night. This was a series that many hockey pundits believe could go either way. You wouldn't know it by watching the action last night. One person that did in the Scotiabank arena last night, Terry Koshan, Leafs reporter, Toronto Sun, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Terry, good morning. How are you?
6: I'm good, Rick. How are
0: you? I'm good. Uh, Your headline today. Koshan's takeaways. Leafs can adjust for game two after uncharacteristic loss. Uh, Wow. You know, so many things happened. A poor start, too many penalties. Tampa Bay was electric on the power play. Lots happening in the early going of this game, and it was all Tampa Bay.
6: Yeah, you know what? It's really hard to explain, to be honest with you, um, because it, it, it was the Leafs' worst game of the year. Uh, you know, this is the second time they allowed seven goals. And, you know, the regular season, the playoffs are two different things understood. But I don't think any of us saw this coming. And that, in a weird way, Rick, is probably a little bit – what's encouraging about it is we know that they have the ability to turn this around and they can do it tomorrow night in game two because they're not going to play like that two nights in a row. I know that there's penalty trouble uh, uh, later on and that sort of thing. But they were out of this the first 10 minutes after Tampa took a 2-0 lead, uh, just disorganized in their own zone. Some said it might have been nerves, others weren't so sure. You know, Ilya Samsonov, who's been really good all season, turns in a real uh, stinker and, of course, is gone after 40 minutes. I believe he should be back in free game, too. I don't think it was enough to uh, to take him out. But uh, the Leafs can rebound. They had games during the season where they weren't great. They always came back and played well the next night. And I think the thing to keep in mind is it is potentially a seven-game series. And the reminder that last year uh, the Maple Leafs beat Tampa five nothing in Game One, and Tampa went on to win. So it's a it's a it's a like I say a, quite a bewildering night. Uh, I think both in the in the dressing room afterward, and, and those of us in the rank watching, because it's not what we used to of this team seeing it of this team. But I, I think they'll come back to running and be a lot better.
0: Yeah, let's hope so for their sake, for sure. And and the fans as well. I think one of the more surprising elements to the game was how Toronto started. I mean, very poorly, very sloppily, kind of uninspired hockey. And that's saying a lot given that, you know, where this team has been, where it's coming from, the expectations that it's had. There are, you know, a couple of, I guess, worries for Tampa Bay, and that's the status of Victor Hedman and Eric Chernak, two of their big, talented defensemen who were both injured and left the game last night. Any update on their status?
6: Nothing yet. And, you know, John Cooper was a little evasive on it last night as coaches tend to be come playoff time. So we'll find out more today. Like Tampa's practicing early in the afternoon, but uh, yeah, obviously both would be huge blows. I mean, we don't, uh, you know, you, you can't overestimate what the loss of both of those players would mean on the Tampa blue line, but you know, they didn't have Hedman for two periods. Turnock went out in the second and uh, they still managed to uh, keep the Leafs at bay with four defensemen. So Big holes for them to, to fill. And then, you know, there's the Michael Bunting issues. There are further suspension coming today. The NHL department of safety, River Ring has hit on Chernak. So there's that for the Leafs to, uh, to worry about. But, um, yeah, we're into it now, Rick. There's no doubt about it.
0: No doubt uh, about it. Yeah, I, I would be sh- I would be shocked if Bunting didn't get at least a game, if not more. Who knows? You know, a headshot, especially yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, we're chatting with uh, Terry Koshan, Leafs reporter, Toronto Sun. Let we got about ninety seconds left. Let's look ahead to Game Two tomorrow night. What's What's the one change or the biggest adjustment the Leafs have to make?
6: Well, come out with energy and dictate. They didn't do that last you night. Know, as you said, the first ten minutes it was just I don't know what that was, but. You know, you talked a good game over the weekend. You were well rested. You three or four days off between the end of the regular season and the playoffs. Bring what you were talking about tomorrow night, and I think they can do that. Just you know, you know what the you know what the Lightning's bringing on the forecheck. Make those adjustments so you're getting the puck out cleaner and quicker. Um, they're capable of doing that because they were quite good defensively all season, but be on your toes, not on your heels. And uh, it's not just because of what is doing. The Leafs can do some things to rectify that. Just bring the energy and the enthusiasm and effort. It was there a lot in 3-82 games. It wasn't there in game one. That has to be there in
0: game two. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Terry, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll chat with you down the road.
6: Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for having me.
0: Terry Koshan, Leafs reporter, Toronto Sun. You can check out his article on the TorontoSun.com website. Koshan's takeaways Leafs can adjust for game two after uncharacteristic loss. And that hits the nail on the head. They were sluggish out of the gate, and Tampa was on their game tip of the cap to the lightning they mean business
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: saturday is the 53rd annual earth day and there are many things that you can do to get involved valerie Malamo is the executive director of earth day canada and joins us now on good morning hamilton on 900 chml valerie good morning welcome to the
7: show Thank you very much for having us. It's great to be here.
0: We've come a long way since the very first Earth Day, but we still have a lot of work to do as well. What's your sense on where we are as as a nation, as a world, in terms of protecting our planet?
7: Oh, well, I think we uh, have much to do still. I think there's been some significant milestones where people have come, you know, to recognize that there's a significant crisis on our hands. And we're seeing more and more um, companies and citizens and Governments engaging in, in action and trying to, you know, but I think we need to accelerate. We're not uh, going fast enough. Uh, the challenge is obvious and the consequences are visible. Uh, but, and there are solutions that are known, right? So it's about making sure everybody gets mobilized and a celebration like Earth Day is still so relevant because it allows us once a year to sort of check in and uh, recognize that, uh, you know, what we do, what we want to protect is still very fragile and we need everybody's efforts on board. And it's an opportunity to re-engage in environmental action to make sure that we're not going to let this slide.
0: Is there a particular focus this year on Earth Day come Saturday?
7: Yes. Well, uh, Earth Day Canada has a theme every year. And this year we really want to re-engage people in the movement because there's been, you know, there there was a, in 2019 um, a real surge in uh you know, people joining the movement. We had, you know, Greta come to visit Canada. It was a great moment. There were so many marches. Everybody was expressing concern and was expecting more action from our governments. And um, the pandemic hit and things really slowed down on environmental calendar. It's now starting to rebuild. The momentum is gaining. And we really want to call people to re-engage in the environmental movement this year. So our theme, which is paint a better uh, planet is about getting people to connect with environmental organizations to take part in environmental action, but support the organizations that, you know, across Canada are leading the activities that are going to change, you know, our knowledges. They're, they're educating us. They're certainly trying to influence the agenda with our politicians to make sure this is front and center in their, in their, uh, legislation. We're really seeing people. Uh, you know, expecting more from our governments and certainly we are seeing a lot of citizens concerned by what's happening with the environment. So I think this is the year where we need to sort of connect back with all these organizations and get involved. And it could be involved as a volunteer, you can become a member of that organization, you can promote with their actions, you can certainly donate to those organizations and you can actually do actions, right? So if you want to get involved this weekend, uh, there's certainly lots of stuff happening across Canada. There are uh, many celebrations, many environmental actions taking place that you can join as a family. It's for all ages, whether it's youth or adults or seniors. Everybody can take part in an Earth Day event.
0: Earth Day is this Saturday. It's the 53rd annual edition, and we're talking with Valerie Malamo, the Executive Director of Earth Day Canada. You can find out more information online at earthday.ca. The Let's Picture a Better Planet initiative, it is a, well, as your organization calls it, a quirky campaign. Tell us about this.
7: Well, you know, some, uh, many people saw this happen in the fall. There were some youth activists that threw some soup, uh, at some paintings in, uh, in Europe. And, uh, it shocked a lot of people in some way because they wondered if it was a, a appropriate strategy. Um, we decided to sort of surf on this to sort of take this opportunity to remi- remind everybody that there are multiple actions that could be taken to address climate crisis. Um, and we're not for or against what happened. We think it's a great way of. Having people talk about these issues, so we decided to use this event and have the paintings talk about environmental actions. So, in a sense, it is a quirky campaign that surf, that's surfing on a on a public event that was very, very popular <laughs> segment in the fall, but is also an opportunity to teach uh, people that there are sev- several ways that they can engage, and they can certainly look at this campaign to be, uh, you know, one for them to. Rediscover all the environmental organizations across Canada. There are hundreds that exist in Canada that are regional or national in focus and that uh, need support and are uh, great um, organizations to work with and, and to, uh, to get to know and get engaged with. So I think this is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves, what can we do? And uh, how can we get involved and with whom? And this is what this campaign is about.
0: And I would certainly invite our listeners to not only go to the website earthday.ca to find out what's happening this Saturday and uh, around the world, but also to get involved in their communities and perhaps, you know, organize a neighborhood cleanup, uh, you know, litter's a big problem in our society, maybe plant some trees or some shrubs or whatever the case is. Gardening is going to be very popular in the the weeks to come. And uh, there's just much more that we can do not only on Saturday, but all year round. or you have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning and uh, happy Earth Day come Saturday.
7: Thank you very much. Same to you and your I, listeners. Have a great is,
0: day. You too. That is Valerie Malamo, Executive Director of Earth Day Canada.
7: Thanks for listening
1: to the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free. So, you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.